Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zorka. Africa, amuka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's ruling party wants the country to withdraw from the ICC. Security Council extends UN mission in South Sudan and UN adopts a resolution to tackle human trafficking. In economics, international agencies to launch refugee and reconstruction bonds and in sports news, CAF unveils shortlist for African Player of the Year award. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. Vote counting is underway in Guinea after a peaceful presidential election. President Alpha Conde is widely expected to win a second mandate. Opposition parties had wanted the vote postponed due to alleged anomalies in the country's electoral roll, but this has been rejected by the Electoral Commission. Seven candidates are competing against Conde, whose main challenger, Silao Dalienda-Lu, urged his supporters to vote despite the country's top court rejecting his plea for a delay. South Africa's ruling ANC has criticized the International Criminal Court, saying it has lost its direction. The party's National General Council has resolved that government should start the process to withdraw from the court. Relations between South Africa and the ICC are at an all-time low after the South African government failed to enforce a court order to arrest Sudanese President Umar al-Bashir at an African Union summit in Johannesburg earlier this year. The issue will be discussed at the next ICC meeting of state parties and at the January Heads of State Summit. ANC International Relations Commission Chairperson Albert Papela says despite the decision to withdraw, the ruling party remains a champion of human rights. The principles that led us to be members remains valid and relevant, which is about uh, prevention of uh, genocide and uh, violation of uh, human rights uh, remains very valid and remains on the agenda. However, the ICC has lost its direction, unfortunately, and uh, is no longer pursuing that principle of an instrument that is fair for everybody. And, uh, and also there are powerful nations that are also refusing to be members of the ICC, and yet they've got these unfettered powers to then refer matters. Twin bomb attacks have killed nine people and injured 29 others in far northern Cameroon. The attacks are suspected to have been carried out by Nigerian militant group Boko Haram. On Saturday, more than meanwhile, on Saturday, more than 40 people were killed in three explosions in the city of Bagasola in neighboring Chad, near the border with Nigeria. Government sources say the blasts were most likely carried out by Boko Haram. 
Turkey's main opposition party has called for the resignation of the country's justice and interior ministers following bomb blasts that claimed the lives of 95 people in Ankara. On Saturday, two an explosions targeted activists who had convened outside Ankara's main train station for a peace rally organized by pro-Kurdish opposition groups. And finally, the United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says indigenous people must not be left behind in the push to achieve a sustainable future for all people and the planet. Ban was in the city of Kokochabamba at the weekend where he addressed the People's World Conference on Climate Change and the Defense of Life, which focused on the views of indigenous peoples and those involved in social movements. Dian Pin reports. The UN Secretary-General said indigenous people are often among the poorest peoples in their countries. He added that they're also some of the most vulnerable and marginalized people on earth. Mr. Ban listed challenges facing indigenous populations, such as inadequate access to education and housing, as well as widespread violence against women. Last month, world leaders adopted a new global development plan for the next 15 years that seeks to eradicate extreme poverty, promote greater equality, and protect the planet. Mr. Ban described Agenda 2030 as a concrete plan for ending poverty everywhere. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.05 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's ruling African National Congress is withdrawing from the International Criminal Court, announcing the decision on the final day of the party's National General Council meeting yesterday in Johannesburg. The party's International Relations Commission Chairman, Obed Babela, said some processes still need to be followed before the withdrawal can take effect. He said these processes will be shared with the rest of the continent. The governing party believes the ICC has lost direction and it is being used by some powerful states that are not signatories of the Rome Statute. Komutomo Pulani reports. The decision follows a dispute earlier this year over South Africa's failure to arrest Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir. The ICC has a warrant of arrest out for him on charges of masterminding genocide in Sudan's Darfur region. South African Minister in the Presidency, Jeff Radebe, at the time, said that leaving the ICC would be a last resort until all remedies had been exhausted. There are legal implications for the country leaving the ICC and they are expected to be discussed in a meeting next month. The ANC's Commission on International Relations also discussed the United Nations' refusal to extend the permanent membership of its Security Council to Africa. South Africa wants African countries to have seats to the Council. The Commission also called for political challenges to have political solutions. The ANC believes powerful countries who are not signatories are able to make decisions with far-reaching consequences. The party says it wants out of the International Criminal Court and has called on government to reconsider its membership. Addressing the media on the third day of the National General Council, International Relations Commission Chairman Obad Babela said the principles that had led the country to join the court still remains, but the ICC has lost its direction.
The ICC has lost its direction, unfortunately, and uh, is no longer pursuing that principle of an instrument that is fair for everybody. And, uh, and also there are powerful nations that are also refusing to be members of the ICC. So we'll have to build on those particular reasons as reasons for the ICC having lost its direction. And obviously the withdrawal will be on the basis that uh, we'll want the ICC to be reconstructed and restructured in such a way that it could be a global instrument that is fair for everybody. We'll also allow the processes in the, the ICC member states parties to also engage and discuss to reach a particular view being influenced by the reasons that we'll be presenting. And lastly, that the AU is also discussing and those discussions will also inform us in terms of us uh, still participating in the ICC. On the first day of the NGC meeting, both President Jacob Zuma and the ANC Secretary General Gwede Mandashe went into detail about the number of members the ANC actually has. They said that the membership had declined from about 1.22 million in 2012 to just over 700,000 today. There was the queue for anguished introspection, claims about gatekeeping and suggestions of fractionalism. But ANC Deputy Secretary General J.C. Duart says otherwise. If you go through the ANC's history, you'll see that we fluctuate our membership all the time. But what I can tell you very confidently is, as at today, and I've just printed this out of our database, the total number of people to whom we've issued cards up to the end of working day on Friday, it's 1.2 million, okay? And then the total number of people in our database is 1.3 million. So in, this means that there are people who haven't renewed. And, but if we had a conference tomorrow, that those are the numbers we'd reflect on the screen. Talks on corruption were also strongly highlighted at the meeting. Minister of Water Affairs and Sanitation, Nomvula Mukonyane, says in order to find solutions to the challenges that the party faces with regards to corruption and abuse of power, the correct procedures must be followed. Mukonyane says character assassination of the ANC member is not the right way to deal with these challenges. Any issue against any member must be thoroughly investigated and members and structures of the NC must guard against being abused for political reasons. Issues or labeling character assassination of ANC members is not used as a way then of dealing with our own and that upon thorough investigation a commission may determine as to what must happen to a member. The party also clarified the North Tame comment attributed to President Jacob Zuma. One of the local publications had reported that Zuma had said he will not stand for a third term as the party president even if members can beg him to do so. Discussions for a third term for Zuma had surfaced in various structures of the ANC. Previously, the NGC was used as a breeding ground for succession plans, but Zuma said this was not the case this year. However, ANC spokesperson Zizikotwa says the report is mischievous. The president was right. Nobody can raise that question here. Nobody can confirm or deny his availability to the NGC. That is not a matter of the NGC. The president was saying if anybody were to ask that question here, he would give the answer that he gave. So it's not breaking news. There's nothing breaking news about it. It's a broken news. The president was answering in the context that no issues of leadership and succession are dealt with at the NGC. 
Meanwhile, the party's Free State Chairperson, Ace Mahashule, dismissed claims that the ANC in the Northwest Province is now pushing for realignment of terms of office. There have been claims that the region wants the ANC's term of office to be synchronized with that of the state to avoid a situation where there are two centers of power that exist between the ANC conferences and national elections. However, some critics have argued that this is a move aimed at ensuring that President Jacob Zuma's term ends in 2018 a few months before a new president is to be selected. Mahashule disagrees. Our proposal is that uh, we must synchronize the two. It doesn't mean that we want the president to do a third term. Never. We have never made uh, uh, such a call. Even if we are to succeed with that debate, remember, only the National Conference can make such a decision because it's the only structure that can amend the Constitution. If we can succeed in convincing everybody to agree with us, it can be implemented in 2019. It means it will have to be implemented post-2019 elections. But we can only cross that bridge when we come to it in 2017. That report by Khomutso Mopulane and ending that report was the Premier of the Free State Province, Ace Mahashule. The UN Security Council has amended the mandate of the UN mission to South Sudan in support of the newly signed peace agreement in the country, but not without objections from Russia and Venezuela that abstained. The UNMIS mandate now includes supporting the implementation of the monitoring and verification mechanism of the ceasefire agreement and to assist parties in the establishment of a transitional government. Russia and Venezuela took issue with a renewed threat of sanctions and the deployment of unmanned aerial vehicles in the country against Juba's wishes. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The resolution passed despite the two abstentions lamenting the reiterated threat of sanctions in the resolution and the deployment of UAVs despite protests from the government of South Sudan. Russia's Deputy Permanent Representative Peter Lichev. We're against attempts to force South Sudan to use UAVs in spite of the repeated energetic objections by the government of that country. The absence of Juba's consent could turn into problems with the deployment and functioning of UAVs. The wording in that regard effectively undermines the state sovereignty of South Sudan and therefore is unacceptable. But penhold on the resolution, the United States disagreed. Listen to Ambassador David Pressman. This resolution expresses our continued commitment to maintain pressure on both sides, neither of which has fully complied with its ceasefire obligations. This is fully consistent with the strong warning issued by the African Union in its September 26th communique by its Peace and Security Council, and I quote, quote, that it will not tolerate any further violations and in line with its previous pronouncements expresses its determination to impose measures against all those who would impede this agreement. African governments all voted in favor of the resolution but warned that the question of sanctions had to be treated with extreme care to avoid exacerbating existing problems on the ground. Angola's ambassador Ishmael Gaspar Martins. A vote today expresses support to UNMIS mission and the troops, despite the difference of views between the members of the Security Council on a number of issues. This is the question of sanctions which remains very sensitive, and I think this Council will have to address it with extreme care to avoid creating problems rather than resolving problems. 
South Sudan's ambassador, Dr. Francis Deng, said the deployment of drones would invite controversy and potential hostility from the government, but assured the council they remained committed to working with the UN mission and the international community at large. I'm Sherwin Bricepies in New York. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. The UN Security Council has given its backing to European naval efforts to stem the tide of illegal trafficking across the Mediterranean from Libya. The EU effort, called Operation Sophia, was launched last Wednesday but has sought greater legitimacy from the Security Council as efforts are ramped up to stop illegal traffickers that has seen over 500,000 migrants and refugees make the perilous journey to Europe with several thousand perishing at sea. Sharon Bryce Peace reports. The resolution gives EU member states authority to inspect, seize and dispose of boats that could be or are being used by organized criminal enterprises for migrant smuggling or human trafficking from Libya. Penholder of the resolution, the UK's ambassador Matthew Rycroft, cautioned that the exploitation of people had to be stopped. All EU member states contributing to the operation now have the authority to interdict them and their boats on the high seas. Any smugglers stopped will be arrested and their boats will be seized. We must not allow callous people smugglers to profit from others' despair. Libya's internationally recognized government has given its consent for the operation, the second phase of a three-part campaign aimed at blocking trafficking routes to Europe. With broad agreement, Venezuela's ambassador Rafael Ramirez was the only country to abstain. The resolution that uh, has been adopted authorizing the use of force, in our opinion, is a, a disproportionate action which sets a dangerous precedent uh, for the treatment of this topic in the future. Uh, we believe that it's not with use of force uh, against uh, the citizens nor criminalizing this phenomenon. Uh, this is not the way we will resolve this humanitarian tragedy. The UK's Ambassador Rycroft sought to allay concerns about the treatment of migrants intercepted at sea. Any action will be proportional 
in keeping with the limits authorised by this resolution and used solely against the smugglers and empty boats. Any migrants encountered as part of the operation will be taken to Europe as part of established procedures. Sadly, action against the smugglers on the high seas won't solve this crisis alone, but it will send a message that people cannot profit from this evil trade with impunity. It will save lives. Several countries, among them Chad, through Ambassador Sharif Mohammad Zene, called for the root causes of the crisis also to be addressed. We hope that the uh, fight against the uh, smugglers' networks will be accompanied by um, specific and simultaneous action in favour of development with a view to solidarity um, with the countries that give rise to the migrants. And furthermore, special stress must be placed on the urgency of a peaceful settlement to the conflict in Syria, Iraq and in Libya, where recently a large part of the migrants have come from. Council authorization for the EU operation is for one year. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease in New York. The UN mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, MONUSCO, has reported some improvements as far as access to education and health care are concerned in the country. MONUSCO says the DRC didn't achieve the Millennium Development Goals due to different challenges, including political and insecurity-related issues. The UN mission has, however, vowed to keep working with the Congolese government to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. Jean-Noël Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of Congo, like other countries in Africa, had it very difficult to achieve the Millennium Development Goals, but some fields have recorded improvements in that way. That's indeed what the United Nations mission here said. Monusco explained that both children and adults have now full access to education. And as far as health care is concerned, the mission said there has been a great improvement since the death rate of children under five and mother trying to give birth has been reduced. And according to this UN system communication officer, the DRC faced so many challenges this last 15 years and that's why it couldn't reach the Millennium Development Goals. Florence Marshall. If the goals uh, were not achieved, it's because, first of all, the baseline was really very low, so you had a long way to go to reach the goal. And the second thing is because this last 15 years, unfortunately, in this country there have been a lot of crises, political crises, uh, security crises, especially in the eastern part of the country, and it was difficult in this context to reach the goals. And the other thing is that uh, in order to reach the goals, you need to invest a lot of money. You know, uh, there is a kind of donor's fatigue because there are so many countries where you can give money. And so, but if you want to reach a goal, you need to invest a lot of money. You need to have the political will, but you need to have the money in order to reach goals. The money, it's really key, for instance, for all goals related to education, health system, access to basic social services. You need to have money. 
There is still something to do and that's why the UN mission has said it will keep on working with the Congolese government here in order to achieve the sustainable development goals. Once more, the United Nations System Communication Officer Florence Marshall explains. We will have the SDG, the Sustainable Development Goals, and the United Nations will keep on working together with the government of the Congo. But you are aware that now we have 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which seems to be a lot, but it covers all aspects of development. So now, what will happen in, in the coming months? The government of Congo, together with the UN system, they will work together in order to make some priorities among these 17 SDGs, because obviously they cannot embrace them all. They will have to make kind of a shopping list in the list to see which ones are the most relevant to the country in order to focus on them and in order to make them possible. It's, um, it's what was agreed between the government and the UN family. They have already started to work on it. And indeed, there is a global context of crisis here in the DRC, but the United Nations mission believes things will improve in the coming days. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa. Kinshasa. The award of the Nobel Peace Prize to a quartet of Tunisian organization has been described by the UN in the North African country as amazing and unexpected. The Nobel Committee in Oslo, Norway, said the four civil society groups had made a decisive contribution to democracy following a revolution in Tunisia in 2011. Kwater Bizani is from the UN Information Center in Tunisia. May Yakub asked for her reaction to the news. As a Tunisian, I am so proud and happy by the World Prize, awarded to a very important coalition of civil organizations, which worked hard for two years since 2013. According to media, government officials, declaration, and social media, Tunisians welcome this amazing and unexpected news and express their pride. For example, by posting a Tunisian flag in Facebook and by calling for more work for a better Tunisia. They are so, so proud. What is the significance of this award at this stage, especially after the attack on Bardo Museum? As you may know, Mr. Ban Ki-moon said, this recognition belongs to all those who gave birth to the Arab Spring and are striving to reward sacrifices of so many. In addition, such a world will encourage Tunisians to continue working hard in order to create peaceful environment, consolidate the newborn democracy, and overcome their differences for the benefit of Tunisia. Mm-hmm. It will be very, very positive, this recognition to Tunisians. Madame Bizani, tell us more about the Tunisian Quartet, which was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Who is it and what are its main achievements? The Quartet is composed by three representatives of national organizations from the civil society. It was formed in uh, 2013 when the democratization process following the Tunisian Revolution was in danger as a result of political assassination and widespread social unrest. The four organizations are the Tunisian General Labour Union, the Tunisian Confederation of Industry, Trade and Handcraft, the Tunisian Human Rights League, and the Tunisian Order of Lawyers. 
All of them worked to secure approval of the constitutional process among the Tunisian population, culminating in a democratic election. It was the process which enabled Tunisia to establish a constitutional system and guarantee fundamental rights for the entire population. We have to recognize this for this uh, for NGOs. The last word is for you. What message would you like to send to the Tunisian people and the Arab world through UN Radio? I hope that prize will contribute towards supporting democracy in Tunisia and be an inspiration to all those who seek to promote peace and democracy in my country and in the region. I would like to conclude by what Mr. Ban Ki-moon said in his declaration of today. The Tunisian National Dialogue Quartet offers hope that serious political challenges can be overcome through dialogue and consensual politics. Their example is an inspiration to the region and the world. And that was Kauter Bizani from the UN Information Center in Tunisia speaking to May Yakub. Global artists to support Radio Everyone, a global pop-up radio station to tell everyone about the global goals. It's time to change the world. Seven-day pop-up, a global radio station streaming online with the broadcaster partners in over 60 countries, producing and hosting content on their platforms across the week. Harnessing the world's most accessible medium, Radio Everyone will bring together stations of all sizes across the world, including broadcasters in Africa, Europe, the USA, India, and with huge support from major broadcasters already, Radio Everyone is calling for more involvement from radio stations around the world in order to help reach the campaign's ambitious target of telling 7 billion people in seven days about the goals. This is Chris from Coldplay. I'm Cody Simpson. This is Lisa Astronaut, Samantha Christopher. This is Liam Neeson. I'm the actress Michelle Yeoh. This is Gilberto Gil. Please can we just have one minute of your time? A minute of your time. By joining together and saying these credible goals, let's be serious about them, let's get involved. That very privileged perspective of being able to look down on our planet from space really made me think of the global goals for sustainable development. You're listening to Radio Arrow. We will live in a world where our industries and our best innovations are not just used to make money, but to make all our lives better. For more information, go to Global Goals. This is Radio Everyone. Seven-day pop-up radio station you can find on globalgoals.org. Globalgoals.org. Let's get to work. The station for the UN's global goals. Let's make it happen. Help us tell everyone. Tell everyone. Please help us tell everyone. You are listening to Radio Everyone. Radio Everyone. Help us tell everyone. Tell everyone. Radio Everyone. Thank you so much. It's 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines coming up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. Vote counting is underway in Guinea after a peaceful presidential election with incumbent President Alpha Conde widely expected to win a second mandate. South Africa's parliament is to decide whether the country should withdraw from the International Criminal Court and twin bomb attacks have killed nine people in far northern Cameroon. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. Eight programs of Palestinian refugees in the Middle East supported by the UN will continue to face austerity measures, it has been announced. The international community met at UN headquarters in New York last week to discuss funding for UNRWA, the agency which serves 5 million Palestinian refugees. Its annual budget is around 750 million US dollars. For part of 2015, UNRWA has been running a budget deficit. May Yakub has been speaking to Sandra Mitchell, the agency's Deputy Commissioner General. What we hope to do today was to reaffirm our commitment to ongoing reforms for the agency, to seek donor support from the member states for all of our activities in 2016, which relate to um, providing health care and education, relief and social services to 5 million Palestinian refugees in the Middle East. In your speech, you spoke about turning the attention to 2016 and beyond, having resolved the crisis of 2015. Uh, what is your plan? How are you planning to deal with this crisis? What we are doing financially is that we've taken certain internal measures, such as increasing um, the class ceiling in our 700 schools. We have reduced international consultants by 85%. We've had hiring freezes, we've had austerity measures, and a lot of that will continue in addition to re-examining line by line how our budget is put together to ensure we're allocating costs correctly between the general fund, emergencies and projects, uh, and also intensifying and broadening our resource mobilization efforts. Just days ago, the GA adopted the SDG's agenda. Uh, the slogan of this agenda was leaving no one behind. In this context, how would you appeal to the donor country to help UNRWA? UNRWA has been in existence for 65 years serving Palestine refugees, and we have a very good track record of leaving no one behind. Palestine refugees have some of the highest literacy rates in the world, and this is largely as a result of the 700 UNRWA schools. So we are the living example of how the UN can leave no one behind, and what we must now try to do and ensure is that we never again have to threaten the education of children because of a lack of financial resources. How is the Middle East crisis affecting UNRWA's operation? I think more than ever an agency like UNRWA, which has a significant operational footprint in Syria, Lebanon, Gaza, the West Bank and Jordan, is able to quickly respond to any instability in the region that affects the five million Palestine refugees. So while turmoil is, is part of the environment that we work in, um, through our 30,000 staff, we are a very strong stabilizing factor.
And are you optimistic to get more funding this year? Oh, absolutely. I think that donors want to contribute to UN organizations that are efficient, that are effective, that are committed to programs that have impact and high quality. And that was the reason for coming today, was to reaffirm our commitment for not only the excellence in our service, but also the excellence in our management of the agency resources. Usually the pledging conference is in December. Why it took place in October this year? We requested that the pledging conference move to October so that it allows us now time between October and December to meet with individual member states to try to get their support for, for funding contributions instead of waiting until the end of the year. So it's really an effort to demonstrate our own commitment and to provide us with sufficient time in order to garner those resources. It has meant that we've had to accelerate our own internal budgeting processes, um, but I think it will pay off. I think donors are committed. Anything else you would like to share with our audience? Uh, just to again thank those donors today, those member states today that have all of them announced their support for the agency, many for continuing and if not increasing their financial obligations and to the host governments and, and to our staff who provide the services and support. And that was Sandra Mitchell, Deputy Commissioner General of the UN Relief and Works Agency. It's 8.36 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Thousands of members of the Yazidi community, which the terrorist group ISIL regards as apostates, were captured and sold into slavery last year. A briefing at UN headquarters on ISIL and its impact on women in Iraq heard testimony from one young victim who had been sold into slavery and then raped. Matthew Wells reports. The briefing, organized by the UN Alliance of Civilizations, brought together victims, advocates and individuals working in Syria and Iraq on behalf of women and girls enslaved by ISIL fighters. An estimated 550,000 Yazidis were forced to flee their homes around the Sinjar Mountains in August 2014 after the militant Islamists of ISIL attacked their ancestral area and captured thousands of women and girls. It became clear immediately that there was a plan to enslave and sexually abuse them, said Yazidi professor Kider Domle, who set up a rescue operation that's freed hundreds over the past year. He described one chilling story he'd been told by a girl who escaped. He have a family and he's married two women and he, he take a, a girl's 16 years as a, for the sexual slavery. She say the family, they are very happy. They told me it is your punishment because you are Yazidi. We are still around 3,000 women and children in, those, in the hand of those barbarians. He praised the work of many in the room to help care for the young victims of ISIL. But for the thousands of women and girls still trapped, much more needed to be done. It's become over a year. We feel we become forgotten. There are a lot of things done till now by Yazidis, by Kurdish governments to support especially the women who escaped. There are a lot of NGOs working, but nothing's been done how we can take those 3,000 women and children from ISIS. The market price for Yazidi victims indicated just how severe the problem of sexual slavery had become in ISIL territory, he concluded. The cheaper one, they are video, they recorded, it was $10 for one woman. We are in the 21st century, so woman, she's been sold by $10. Woman, she's been sold by 
$40 like Bazi, she's sitting here. Bazi, not her real name, was one Yazidi survivor who was determined to recount her story of slavery and rape. Her face covered entirely by a veil in the UN conference room. She said it was essential for the truth to come out. Her words were translated. I thank God that I was able to free myself and to run away. And it's been months that I'm back, but I don't feel that I'm back and out of their hands. Because I have many, many other girls that are still captured by them. I know what's happening to them, so I don't feel myself that I'm freed yet. Matthew Wells, United Nations. South Africa's ruling party wants the country to withdraw from the International Criminal Court because the court has lost direction and no longer fulfilled its mandate. The decision comes after a spat with the Hague-based court over South Africa's failure to arrest Sudanese leader Omar al-Bashir when he arrived in the country in June to attend an AU summit. Now, our question to you today is, do you think the ICC has lost direction as suggested by the ANC? Give us your thoughts on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think the ICC has lost direction as suggested by the ANC? Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Young people have the power to make a lasting impact on ending extreme poverty and addressing climate change, according to the World Bank. Meetings of the World Bank Group and the International Monetary Fund ended yesterday in Lima, Peru, where issues including the new Global Development Goals were discussed. World Bank President Jim Yong Kim spoke to Pabsi Pabalan and she began by asking him why young people should be involved in raising awareness about the twin challenges of poverty and climate change. You know, it's really time for everybody to, to take seriously the big issues of the day. Poverty, of course, is for us the most important one. But climate change and so many other things, you know, these are the issues that are going to shape the lives of young people going forward. When, when they are you know, in their 50s and 60s and 70s, we're going to have to deal with people who've been living in poverty forever and not, not having any chance to come out of poverty or, or share in prosperity. This is an issue that young people have to face. Climate change is a huge one. The world's going to look different uh, because of climate change. Well, you know, poverty is a huge and complex issue. I mean, seriously, what can we do? A lot of young people are not in positions of power. Well, you know, there's so many things that you can do, uh, even when you're young, uh, to bring attention to poverty. But then also there are a lot of people studying so many different things. The thing is, no matter what it is that you're studying, whether you're studying literature or engineering or medicine, whatever it is, there's something you can do to help end poverty. 
Well, the World Bank and IMF annual meetings are, of course, happening. A lot of the young people don't really know what this is. So what's your message for them? Well, you know, we're getting together in, uh, in, in Lima, Peru. I've, I've mm -hmm. worked there since 1994. And the changes that have happened in, in Lima, Peru, are changes that we'd like to see everywhere. Now, Lima still is a, is a city of huge uh, differences in, in, in wealth and access to health and education, but boy, those differences have shrunk tremendously. You know, over the last 20 years, they've really focused on lifting up the poor, growing the economy in a way that everyone can participate, and because they've done that, the conditions there are so much better. And the message is that every country in the world can go through this process. In mm -hmm. fact, it's our responsibility to help every country in the world grow and lift mm -hmm. up everyone. That was World Bank President Jim Yong Kim speaking to Pabsi Pabilan in Lima, Peru. The Solar Power and Chemical Energy Systems Conference will be taking place in Cape Town from the 13th to the 16th of this month. The conference will be a showcase of international solar energy developments. For more on this conference, Wandile Kalipa spoke to one of the organizers, Christoph Richter. It is a conference that happens every year and gives an overview on development of this technology that uses solar radiation concentrated with mirrors and produces high temperature energy to produce electricity and also in the future to produce, for example, solar hydrogen chemical commodities. And one of the big advantages is that you can store the high temperature heat, the energy collected first, and then you can produce, for example, electricity even in the evening hours when there is no direct sunshine available. So what would be the delegates at a meeting be focusing on in particular? I think they will look in particular at new technological developments and how the cost development is, how costs are coming down. And they will be looking here in South Africa in particular also how the market in South Africa is and how the feed-in tariffs work in South Africa because here, for example, if you produce solar power in the evening when there is no sunshine, then you get a special remuneration from the tariff system. As it is that this is the first time that the meeting is being held at the Cape Town International Convention Center as from the 13th to the 16th of October, how has the solar power energy developed over the years to becoming a sustainable energy source? Well, over the last years, it has been a lot of power plants built all over the world. Many of them in Spain, for example, they have now operating about 2,500 megawatts, and they are producing up to about 7-8% of the national electricity demand and also in the United States, so there has been quite a lot of plants built with this technology. And right now in South Africa, there are a few projects underway. There is already one plant operating in the Northern Cape region, and a few other plants are being built. So it has been progressed quite strongly in the last years. And, uh, and that was Christoph Richter of the Solar Power and Chemical Energy, Energy Systems Conference speaking to Wandile Kalipa. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lehuko.
A decision on the new wage offer that the South African Chamber of Mines has tabled during its wage negotiations with the National Union of Mine Workers is expected to be announced on Monday. At least 30,000 workers embarked on a strike more than a week ago. They're demanding a $74 increase for lower category workers, while the companies are offering $22 and $44. The two parties met on Friday to discuss the new wage offer. The union's spokesperson, Libuane Mamburu. The companies are supposed to commit themselves to the harmonization process in a certain period. Our members were very concerned about that, that uh, we must redress these imbalances of the past and not allow a situation where you find some people getting 9,000 and 12,000 housing allowance. That was unacceptable. International agencies plan to raise billions of dollars to tackle the worsening refugee crisis in the Middle East and North Africa. The United Nations, World Bank and Islamic Development Bank announced the proposal at the weekend after global policymakers met to discuss ways to ease the growing humanitarian and economic crisis stemming from conflicts in countries including Syria, Iraq, Yemen and Libya. World Bank's president, Jim Jong Kim, says more than 15 million people have fled their homes. Ethiopian traders who met on a floor to haggle for prices amid the buying and selling of agricultural commodities will have to meet online. This, as the country moves the trading of commodities from manual to an electronic trading systems. The manual system of trading has over time challenged market efficiency transparency. Koleta Wanjohi reports in Addis Ababa. The Ethiopia Commodity Exchange is a unique system of selling agricultural commodities. At the Ethiopian Commodities Exchange, traders literally meet on a floor, and for a short time allocated for a trading session, they sell and buy food commodities, which are produced by farmers in different parts of the country. A former finance minister in Levi Mwanawasa's administration in Zambia says that the country is now a nation of drunkards. Ngandu Makande says he doubts whether civil servants will agree to no salary increment for three years with the already high cost of living in the country. Makande also says that the government is being unrealistic to seek to grow the economy by 5% next year when its projection for this year was 7%. Mining and the trading giant Glencore will announce the proposed sale of some assets in Australian Chile as it seeks a trading hold for its Hong Kong listed shares in the latest move to slash its debt pile. Asset sales are part of a broad plan Glencore outlined last month to raise money to cut its $30 billion net debt by about a third. This as it looks to weather a slump in commodity prices and revive its shares. The company says it is looking to sell a minority stake in its agricultural business and last month sold a Brazilian nickel project to $8 million. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.33 in South Africa, 10.15 in Botswana, 11.73 in Zambia, 0.65 to the British pound, 0.88 to the euro. Gold $1.158, platinum $9.77 an ounce, brand crude oil $53.03 a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Msubudi Makura.
Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. The Springboks are likely to be at full strength when coach Anika Mayer picks his team to face Wales on Saturday's Rugby World Cup quarterfinal at Twickenham. While there are no new injuries, it seems Bok veteran JP Peterson as well as Victor Matfield could also be fit for selection after overcoming the injuries that kept them out of the USA game. Another player who missed out on that match, Yanni Duplessis, is also said to be fit for selection when the team is decided upon. Team doctor Greg Roberts has very few worries ahead of the quarterfinals. It's nice to give a medical report four days after a game so we've had a bit of time to recover and get through the bumps and bruises and uh, thankfully in the USA game we, we didn't pick up any significant injuries which is which is great news. Uh, at the moment the two guys we need to make a call on for the weekend is, is Victor who's doing really well with his uh, coming back from that hamstring strain of his We'll see how he goes at training today and make the call for, for the weekend. Uh, the other one is JP, who jarred his knee. That's settled really nicely. He should be available for the weekend, but he's got to get through a couple of training sessions first before we can clear him. So effectively, everyone available for selection, which is great news. Hanaga Mayer said to announce his team on Wednesday. Meanwhile, Victor Matfield says South Africa must be wary of the threat posed by Wales, who defeated a second-string Springbok side 12-6 um, when the teams last met in Cardiff at the end of 2014. Yeah, Wales is a very good team. I think uh, we've heard it the last six years we've been here that they know how to beat us. So um, they're very confident when they play us. Uh, they had a good victory over us last year. Um, but if you look at the two teams, I think it's a pretty different team going out on Saturday. But again, it's quarterfinals. Uh, any team can beat anyone, and it's going to be tight, it's going to be tough, and it's going to be a pressure game. So it's going to be on the day who makes the right decisions and who takes the chances. In the other quarterfinals, host New Zealand will go up against France. Ireland will face off with Argentina, while Australia will go up against Scotland. On to football news, Bafana Bafana head coach Ephraim Sheikhs Mashaba believes his charges will go into their clash against Honduras at the Metropolitano Stadium in San Pedro Sula with their heads held up high on Tuesday. This after they defeated Costa Rica 1-0 at the Estadio Nacional San Jose last week. The victory was also a confidence booster for Bafana Bafana ahead of Saturday's Chan match against Angola in South Africa. The return leg will be played the following weekend in Angola. Still on football news, the Confederation of African Football has nominated 37 players for the prestigious 2015 African Footballer Player of the Year Award. Super Eagles newly appointed captain Ahmed Musa and Lial goalkeeper Vincent Enyema are the only Nigerians on the list that has four members of the victorious Ivory Coast team at the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations tournament. Manchester City midfielder Yaya Touré, who is the current holder of the title is also nominated, as well as the likes of DR Congo goalkeeper Robert Kidiaba, Andre Ayu of Ghana, as well as Yassim Ibrahim of Algeria. Nigeria's failure to make any meaningful impact on the continent's club football scene meant no Nigerian made the list for the African-based player of the year nomination. Meanwhile, four Orlando Paris players have been nominated in CAF's player of the year based in Africa. The four are Philippe Ovono, Kermit Erasmus, Obamayesa, as well as Tamsang Lagabuza are nominated for their role in helping the South African side reach the CAF Confederation Cup final. 
And finally, tennis news, Stan Wawrienka captured his fourth title in a career-best season on Sunday at the Rakuten Japan Open Championship. He becomes the first Swiss winner in Tokyo since Wancho Federer in 2006. Wawrienka dominated his 20th tour title live final appearance, outclassing his good friend Benoit Paré 6-2, 6-4 in 65 minutes. Yeah, I am. Uh, amazing week again here. Uh, 500 big tournament, playing against one of my best friends today. It's, uh, it's great. Uh, I'm really happy again to win the title. It's something big for me. And as we head towards it, and- yeah, it's uh, amazing year again. Last year was not so amazing. One Grand Slam, 1000, Davis Cup. This year again, one Grand Slam, two 500. No, uh, playing my best game is tough, that's for sure, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. The Zion Sports News at the Sound. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, Raz and Shan at the Sawa. South Africa's ruling party wants the country to withdraw from the ICC. Security Council extends UN mission in South Sudan and the UN adopts a resolution to tackle human trafficking. And that wraps up Africa, Raz and Shan today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzo Ramagaza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Raz Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277 969 Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is with a song twi- titled Noir Baby.
alcohol. Me, I want to chop money. I get I'm plenty, plenty, plenty. Looking for sexy, sexy, sexy. I want some photo for tom, for tom, tom. She can't de pion, 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 pion. Waka, waka, baby. Ururu, baby. Kona, kona, baby. And I go tell my mama. And I go tell my papa. And I go tell him, say. Waka waka baby, you be chuku chuku baby. Baby sawale, sawa sawa sawale, sawa sawa sawale. Pom pom, you poro poton, you pom pom, you poro poton, you pom pom, you poro poton, you pom pom, you poro poton. Bakoloba, 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 you pom pom. Ojari papa, chuku ma baby. Shower, I wish I, 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 I